Well, hello, my friends. It's Ryan J. Pelton from The Art of Paying Attention, where paying attention is our proper and endless work. So glad to be with you again today. We have a double header, and if you've been following along on the feed, we have two podcasts coming out in short succession. I was so excited to get these podcasts out, and also I've been behind. I have a lot of interviews to get out, and uh, yeah, so we're, we're launching them full bore. And so hopefully this will be for your listening enjoyment. And today I have a great conversation with Jill Phillips, who is an author who wrote Lamb Last Street, a portrait of 1960s post-war London through one's family story. And we talk a lot about family and our family history, our stories of origin. And the reality, my friends, is nobody chooses their family. And we all have beautiful parts of our family story, broken parts, ugly parts, And we have a great conversation about why Jill has gotten into writing about her family and those stories and how kind of the universal story of all stories is really woven into each of our individual stories. And so uh, just by reading, I think it's why we read memoir. I think it's why we read biographies. There's something to learn from other people's stories. And so really enjoyed my conversation with Jill Phillips. So I'll get to that in just a moment. And just a couple things in the docket. I want to remind you again, if you are on the Stitcher app, the Stitcher app is going away in August. And so I know we have a lot of listeners on Stitcher. uh, So you'll have to move over. Uh, We're on Spotify. We're on Apple, iTunes. uh, We're on pretty much every major platform, podcast platform. So just want to let you know, uh, this show is going away. So I'd love to have you come on over to whatever app you're you're on. You can also listen on the Substack app where this podcast and all my writing and uh, blog and all that is hosted ryanjpelton.substack.com and you can listen to the show right through the app and it's a great way and and there's actually going to be some special episodes kind of behind the scenes episodes only for our paid community they can listen to and so you can do that right through the app and so i want to let you know we're trying to stay away from ads and so a a simple way to support the show support the work is five bucks a month and i'm going to be doing some q a's uh some writing retreats online some other cool stuff uh so hopefully they'll serve you well. And if you want to join up and support the work, I'd love for you to do that. And we've got some people doing that already. So I uh, just love the community that's forming around the art of paying attention because paying attention is our proper and endless work, as Mary Oliver says. And so uh, I want to get right to my conversation with Jill Phillips, her new latest book, Lamb Last Street. And you are going to enjoy our time together. I really appreciate Jill coming on the show from all the way across the pond. So here is Jill. Well, Jill, uh, this is the art of paying attention. And so I do have to ask you, what are you paying attention to these days? Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm paying attention to uh, trying to decide which country to live in right now, um, because um, I'm originally from the UK. And then uh, I've lived in Canada for 35 years. And then when COVID hit in 2020, I was actually over here to be with my mother, who was getting a little bit frail. And I remember saying to my daughter, I'll be here for the next two months. And as soon as this COVID thing's over and done with, I'll be back. So two and a half years later, (laughs) uh, my poor mother had passed on with COVID. Mm. Um, I'm now living in what was her house. Um, and I'm reconnecting with a lot of family that I had over here that I hadn't really had a chance to meet up with in, in depth for ages. 
uh, trying to decide which country to live in. So um, that, that's what I'm paying attention to right now. <laughs> well, yeah, those so, are, uh, yeah, those are big things. Obviously, the the global climate has affected you personally and um, your family. Sorry to hear your mother passing away. Um, and so, yeah. So as you, um, which is kind of interesting because uh, those that are, are listening in, Jill just has written a book really about family and uh, and exploring some of that. It seems like a very uh, important part of your life. Uh, and so kind of reconnecting with the past, reconnecting with family. Uh, it feels like we all we all do that at some point. So so walk us through that a little bit, just kind of your story of, of how did you end up moving from the UK to Canada? Uh, and starting to kind of explore family again and, and the writing, how did that all kind of come together? It was interesting, actually, because uh, back in 2011, um, I'd been backwards and forwards, as you are when you have family in a different country, you know, various holidays and that, and I was still working then. Uh, and I used to talk to my uncle quite a bit. Uh, my uncle, George, used to live with us in Lamlash Street, which is what the book is about, a street that we used to live on. He used to live downstairs with my auntie, Aunt Helen and Uncle George. And when my auntie passed away in 2000, um, I used to come make a point of coming to see Uncle. A very nice man, very jolly man. Um, um, always, you know, it, he'd have one pint of beer in his hand the whole night and would talk nonstop. <laughs> it was one of those people. Very, very pleasant, very, very polite, very upbeat. Um, anyway, one day he was talking about the fact that he'd written down some of his um, his tales of what he did in World War Two, because he was 17, 18, 19 in, in World War Two. And some of them were talking about crossing the Atlantic um, in convoys and uh, some of the ships being hit and him seeing his fellow mariners basically having to drown because they couldn't stop to pick them up. Um, and other things were talking about his training, how he was trained to be um, in the Merchant Navy. And then he was talking about how he was at D-Day. And I thought, wow, I had no idea about any of these things that Uncle had, had been through. I knew he was very keen on the war, but, but that was it. So um, then 2011 came around and uh, sadly, poor Uncle passed away. And I thought, you know what, it's, it's, it's another... Uh, aunts or uncles passed away and it's another piece of history from our family that has gone um, and when we were looking through his flat his apartment to get it ready for sale um, I came across those stories that he was talking about so they were just in a very very thin exercise book they're about six or twelve pages in total but just summaries of what happened and so I thought would it not be nice to write a book because he said I'd always love to write a book about my stories and I thought yeah that's a nice idea and then he left us some money, obviously, from the flat. And so I took some of that and I got some help in uh, kind of book writing coach, basically. Um, and the other thing that was happening in my life as well is that my dad was getting really forgetful. He passed on with, um, with Alzheimer's later on, but he was getting very forgetful. And I thought that's another example of, of the family stories, the people that used to sit at the weddings and the... The, you know, the other celebrations and Christmas times and talk about, do you remember in the Second World War when Auntie did this and Uncle did that? All those stories have gone because those the, the storytellers were, were no longer around. And I thought, what if a mum was the youngest of 12 children? So I'd seen, you know, this happen over a few decades. I would it not be nice to at least write those stories down? And so that's where it started from. So I wrote down literally everything I could remember um, the book is based in 1962 slash 1963. It goes from Christmas to Christmas. 
And I loved Christmas because you had fantastic parties, all the family was there, a real sense of community. So I wrote down everything I could remember from those days. And then I started talking to mum about them. And mum would say, oh, right. So, um, yes, we did have those parties. But did you know Uncle Sansa used to do that for us? So she was sort of adding to the, the stories as well. And then, uh, then as I said, I, I, when um, things went through on Uncle's estate, we, um, I had some extra money. So I got the book writing coach. And then uh, that coach helped me because I have no literary background. I've got a master's degree. Um, I was a manager. So I'm used to writing, but it's all factual. It's not anything. There's a lot of fact in this. But when you're writing a book, it has to be a page turn. It has to be interesting. Most things I wrote at work were just necessary. They weren't page turns by any means. And so, um, so this all came about. And then I thought, you know what, it'd be... So I said, I wanted to get those stories down. And so um, then the book writing coach helped me to structure those. Uh, and so what I have now, and I'm really, really pleased with it, is I have a story of one year in my life, talking about Christmas and birthdays and school events um, and, and family and what the week was like, like Friday was always fish and chip nights and um, we had these comics, we called them, um, like kiddies, uh, magazine, children's magazines, um, Bunty and Judy. Now, if, if I talk to somebody who was around in the 1960s, they'll talk about Bunty and Judy and they'll say, oh, yes, and do you remember the cutout dolls on the back? So it, it's a sort of a reminiscence trip as well for a lot of people. And you talk about your tin bath. It was a status symbol in those days. If you could actually have a bath in your own house as opposed to going to pay a penny down at the bathhouse. Um, and of course, children didn't go to bathhouses, so we'd end up like standing up in a sort of bowl and mum would sort of sponge you down. Mm -hmm. There were no showers, nothing in those mm -hmm. days. And the other reason I wanted to write it is my daughter's 33. Um, she has no concept of it taking a whole day to wash your clothes or the fact that um, because it was so labour intensive to wash clothes, that you would actually stretch the wearing of clothes. So, for example, even underwear, you would turn the underwear inside out so it would last another few more days. Mm. That sort of thing, it, it, it's, it's a lifestyle thing. And I think it's really important for every generation to get a perspective of what the prior life was like, like what your family's, um, your elders' life, lives were like. Because then when you're looking at the tough times we go through, and every age has its tough times, every generation does, it gives you an overall perspective. You're not just looking at things through one view, thinking life's terrible, I have all this internet stuff and all these terrible political things happening in the world. Um, you have to compare that with, say, when my mother was young, they had World War II to deal with. They had bombs dropping. Um, if mum, for example, just in terms of um, my father, he was 13 when war broke out. Most of his time was spent picking up pieces of shrapnel and then when there was uh, the, the the bombers were coming over London during the Blitz, he would be up on the rooftops watching them and watching all the all this destruction happening. So I think it's really important that every generation learns their own history. I think Churchill says something about that. You should always learn your own history, otherwise you make the same mistakes again. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important to understand your own family history. And if you do that, then you know things are tough in your life now, but if you know also how tough it was for your parents, uh, and then I think you get a different, um, a more mature view of, more balanced view of what life is about. Um, and as stressed as you can be in this day and age, 
we have a lot more supports through mental health and meditation and apps and the internet and the knowledge we have access to is amazing compared to say in the 1960s where if you wanted to find out anything about even what a hotel was offering in terms of a room which is basic stuff now thanks to booking.com and these other travelocities and so on you used to have to in those days pick up the telephone and telephones of course very expensive but by the minute is what they charge you'd have to actually phone the hotel saying can you send me a brochure please on your your hotel and so about a week later it would arrive and then you would have to um, call them and then you could book it through the call and not everybody even had credit cards in those days and you had to send checks paper checks through the mail that sort of thing so now we have all that stuff is so easy to do you know with our, our bank cards and so on but I think it's really important for every generation to understand the blessings that we have now we do have a lot but also at the same time, I think they should also understand um, it wasn't easy for any generation. So, so that's partly why I wrote it. I'm really happy I did because it's a little piece of oral history written down now. Mm -hmm. um, and I can remember saying to mum, I said, mum, I said, you're immortal now because she's in the book, obviously. <laughs> so I was happy, very happy mm -hmm. to have done it. But um, I didn't set out to do it by any means. Mm -hmm. No, it just happened that way. Right. Well, yeah, I, I love this, Jill. There's so many directions we can go. Uh, you know, I think when you're writing about your own family, you realize you're actually writing about a time in history, uh, what's going on around your family, obviously, you know, World War II, uh, what they're experiencing, difficulties. So it's it's interesting how when you can tell your particular family story, you're actually tapping into the kind of broader story that's going on in, in culture and history. And um, and I think that's why it's important. I think everybody needs to, you know, write their stories down if they can. It doesn't mean you have to write a book or publish, but but share those stories, right? Like your daughter, like you're saying, it's like remember when, you know, things were like this and it kind of gives you perspective. It gives you, wow, we actually don't definitely don't have it as tough as some folks. Um, I was trying to explain to my kids the other day about, you know, VHS tapes and cassette tapes and, you know, the the days before you went to the video store and picked up, you know, videos to watch on TV. It's like they just have no concept of that. Um and that wasn't even that long ago. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so let's, let's talk a little bit. Um, I was curious, my, so my father, or excuse me, my, well, my father's father. So my grandfather fought in World War II and he was a, um, a, a test pilot. And, and one of the things I noticed sharing his stories was he had a difficult time sharing the stories, um, that it wasn't this happy time. And, and actually, kind of like you, my response was I couldn't believe all this was happening. And he didn't start sharing these stories till kind of closer to his his death, um, probably 10 years or more before. But he really kind of kept it bottled up. Um, I was curious, like in your family history, w was there any of that just having a hard time talking about this, reflecting on what happened during the war and and how their families experienced that? Or were they more of an open book or somewhere in between? Tell us a little about that. No, actually, it was a very similar experience. Um, I wasn't aware until probably about 10 years before Uncle um, finally, you know, died, uh, passed on, that um, he'd done any of these things. I knew he was always extremely interested in World War II. He would watch the old movies and he had this videotape library of all his famous, you know, his favourite movies and things like that. But um, no, none of the men who, in those days, most of the men went off to war, obviously, World War II, spoke about their um, experiences there. My uncle, Jim, um, he went off to, um, I think it was Borneo, and um, he said that he apparently he was in like hand-to-hand -hand combat, combat, so I assume that means he was killing people at some point. Hmm. 
Um, I still don't know for sure because he wouldn't speak to anybody about it. Uh, he said a few things to my um, to his son, um, but he's never spoken about it either. So, yeah, I don't know how they coped with that, how they could because they, because they, they had nobody to talk to, and I guess mm-hmm. their fellow comrades, um, their fellow mm-hmm. service people. Um, but yeah, no, it's very much something you did not talk about. Um, and even, you know, I learned more about my family through asking questions about the stories about World War II, because I said, oh, I'd like to know more about it, than I ever knew before, um, because they, mum was really reluctant. They were all reluctant to talk about it. But I think you're right. I think as they get to an age where they recognise life is a little shorter ahead of them, um, they do tend to be a little bit more open. They do want to share some of these things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the other reason I, I, I really encourage people to so at least write down some of their family stories because um, when you talk to the family members about it, you get closer to them because they say, oh, right, I remember that. And, and then they talk to one another about it. And it's almost like it comes alive, alive again. The experiences they had years ago, they seem to relive them. Uh, but at the same time, me being a different generation, I could look back on them and think, wow. That must have been really tough. No, now I understand why you did things this way, or mm-hmm. now I understand why you're that particular type of person. And so, when you get the the uh, examples of what happened in their lives, you begin to understand more about them and who they are and why they did what they did in life. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's really true because I, I, you know, you you only see their lives as you you experience them. You know, you when you are a grandchild or you know, a lot younger, you just see them as they may be happy, go lucky. They may have had a great career or they may, you know, pretty healthy people, but like they're carrying around these wounds. They're, they're carrying around these, you know, these, these stories that you just had no idea was going on. I mean, my, my grandfather was a dentist and, you know, I mean, he, he, uh, lived a pretty, pretty normal life, had kids and, you know, loved my grandmother well. And, and, but yet, when they got into those stories, they just is a different person. It was a different time. It was almost like they wanted to shut it out. And, and you're right. They, they did find a community of, of a lot of his buddies who were in the war to get with them. They would talk together and they, they loved telling stories and doing all that, but like, it was not really open for the, the public, you know, consumption. And I don't know, maybe that was the way they coped and they, you know, now we're so much more open about mental health and therapy and just talking through things and, you know, all that where they just didn't do that at all. Um, well, yeah. So, um, so you're, you're writing, um, uh, this book is written kind of early sixties, which is an interesting, um, time. I was kind of fascinated by this, especially in, in London. I mean, I think of like, you know, a click away from the Beatles, um, you know, kind of moving into like rock and roll, moving into Vietnam, moving into, you know, just a, a big, another cultural shift that's kind of happening, um, you know, between the UK, America, the world. Um, and, you know, I was curious, how did you, when you were kind of like thinking through all these stories, what, what was that particular time period? Why was that significant for you? I mean, it sounds like you probably could have chosen some, some years around that or later earlier, but yeah. Why did, why did you land on that, uh, that, that, uh, time of year? Um, I landed on that, that era there, those, those couple of years, because, um, it was a time of a lot of, a lot of change within our family up until, um, I was 12, 13 years old. Um, things had really just been as they'd always been. We'd lived in Lombash Street. We had family around us. Every Christmas, as said, we had the big Christmas party. Every June, July, we would go off to a holiday camp, what they now call a resort. Um, so life is fairly predictable. And then 
1963, um, things changed dramatically. Uh, what was happening in London was um, there was a housing shortage. So where, where the houses had been bombed in World War II, because World War II was only 18 years earlier. It wasn't, you know, a lot of years earlier. So although, like I said, it was the Beatles and I think at some point in this, in the, the, you know, there was uh, miniskirts came in at the end of the 60s and the women's rights were really strong. Um so there was a lot, and there was, uh, was it marches to Aldermars and Band, the Bomb Peace Marches, and um, all that was going on. But then it was, only, like I said, it was only 18 years earlier that my uncle had been crossing the Atlantic and watching his fellow mariners die in the black murky waters, of, you know, and he couldn't stop to help them. So it was a time of change, but... Also, it's a time of huge contrast between what has just just been, um, and the other thing that happened because so there was a housing shortage. Um, a lot of the infrastructure in London, because it'd been badly bombed, the buildings basically were in really poor shape. Even in the sixties, I can remember, uh, I think it's mid sixties, looking at some buildings, and there'd be like still the, the old blackout tape, you know, like the cross of black tape. So if um, bomb blast hit the window and it shattered. It wouldn't go into the building. It would just, you know, stick to the tape, basically. Um, so that was still around everywhere. I used to play on bomb sites. So hmm. where they used to, the houses were bombed. Eventually, I guess they just sort of pushed the dirt over it because they didn't have money to rebuild. There was the Marshall Plan, which provided money from the US to the UK to restart their economy. But it wasn't nearly enough money. Um, so what happened? They developed these new towns. So Milton Keynes in the UK is a good example of that, a planned um, new environment. It was completely built from scratch, designed, purpose designed um, to be people friendly, socially better than it had been before. And but all these new towns were outside London. So um, I went from in that year having close to like 200 odd family members within five minutes walk from me to um, a year later, a lot of them had left. <laughs> excuse me, um, because they've been offered jobs and new housing and a bit of life for the kids, um, the children. And it was only like 20 miles outside town, but you have to remember there was no internet in those days. Uh, children didn't write letters. Hardly anybody used the phone. So once they left your immediate neighborhood, that was it. You were done. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny as you, you talk about that, it, you said 18 years between, you know, World War II and when you're writing this book. It's also, I think, part of sharing these stories with your daughter, with the broader public, obviously, is is to to say, hey, this actually wasn't that long ago. I, I think that's always amazing to me, even when I talk to my grandparents, how you know they're born in the you know 20s and yet their their parents and their grandparents were like civil war. I mean, like they weren't that far away from it. And sometimes you think that's just like another lifetime, an eternity away. And yet when you really think about it, you're like, that wasn't that far away. I mean, if you're playing on bomb sites and you're, you're you know, seeing the the rubble from World War II in the 60s, I mean, you're going, wow, this, this was just yesterday, you know, and how easily we can forget history too. We can forget what happened before us thinking that was just an ancient time. I mean, my kids kind of, you know, they live such in the now in the moment, you know, they don't, they don't think 20 years ago feels like 50,000 years ago, you know, like, like I, I, you know, used to live with dinosaurs or something, you know? So, um, so I think that's part of it too. It like gives us a context of like, hey, we're part of this bigger thing. And it wasn't that long ago that that these painful things were happening. Um, now, when you were, um, I know uh, one of the challenges, you know, 
telling our stories, writing down our stories. Uh, what was kind of the process of like, um, you mentioned a little bit, but like your own memories, like how did you kind of mine some of those memories uh, from your childhood and what was going on? I mean, were you talking to other people? Were you just kind of sitting down, just whatever came to mind and she wrote it down. So like kind of what, give us a little bit like the process of kind of putting these bits and pieces together as you're trying to put this book together. Well, it was my very first attempt at having something this large, you know, in terms of a book. And so um, I looked to see, well, maybe I need to use software. Um, I went online, as we all would. Maybe I need some masterclass. And, it, and, and I went through all this whole thing. Um, and then in the end, it came down to simply, um, I, I took one page per story in my head that I can remember. So going to the swimming baths. I was at school. Um, they taught us how to swim. Manor Place Swimming Baths is an old Victorian building. It's, it's protected and so on. Um, so I thought, okay, what can I remember about being at school and going swimming? Well, let me think now. So first of all, Nitty Nora, the lady that used to check us for head lice, mm-hmm. came around once every two weeks. And this is all considered normal. Mm-hmm. Now it's not, but then it was because we were kids. Everything's normal, right? Um she used to check us for head lice, and if we got the thumbs up, no, we did not have head lice, then we could go swimming, and I loved my swimming. So then we would walk around the corner to Manor Place Files, it was like a 20-minute walk, you know, crocodile style, two, 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 and the teachers, one at the front, one at the back. And then we'd get there, and we would, um, around the pool, there were change rooms all the way around the edge of the pool, and like with little striker curtains across. And so be like two children here, two children in there, like, like the teachers do, you know, tell you what to do. Anyway, so we got changed. And um, then um, when it came to swimming, we all went down to the shallow end of the pool. And um, we, first of all, we, we learned how to swim the 25 yards along the shallow end so we could actually put our feet down we felt that we were drowning. And then when we got up to the deeper end, I think it's like eight feet deep at the end, um, the swimming instructor never, ever got into the pool. Hmm. I can still remember now she had like these thick brown tights, uh, like the pantyhose tights, and she had black, brown um, brogue shoes, very heavy leather shoes, and she had a skirt that went like to the middle of her, her calves there. And she used to walk along the edge of the pool with a broom handle, and, um, and we were sort of swimming along the edge one at a time. And she will keep the broom hand within about two inches of your 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 grasp. So, if she saw that you were starting to sink into the pool, she'd bring the broom handle a bit closer. And if she thought you could manage a little bit further, she'd move it away from you. Mm. So that's how we learn how to swim, right. just like desperation, really. Right. So, um, so, so I wrote that down as a story. <laughs> Excuse me. And then I spoke to Mum, and said, Mum, do you remember this? And she said, oh, yes, I remember that. And then she added a little bit more. And then um, I thought about it and I thought, okay. that that." So I basically took every little story in my head in that sense. So then I had, and I printed them all off because I'm more of a print person. Um, You know, this is like about a year later. I had all over the floor. And I thought, okay, I've got to try and get this into some sort of storyline. So then some of the things were tied in with the calendar year. I thought, okay. Christmas, start and finish with Christmas. So I put the two Christmas party stories in there. That was easy. And then there's something that happened, uh, daffodil growing time, which was a spring. So I only went to put that in the spring. It's like a washing line is how I saw it. So Christmas at each end. Um, so then Christmas, uh, summer holidays were in the middle. 
Um, this, the swimming story, well, that can be anywhere in the spring. So I sort of just put it in where it fitted. Uh, and that's how I did it in the end. I just had like a, with the storyline, oh, oh, the other thing was, so I spoke to my book writing coach about, I'm having trouble with this. And he said, um, you've got to think of something that's going to, a thread that's going to run throughout the whole of the book. I thought, oh, okay, what's this going to be? And he said, um, I don't suppose you have any like romance in your life. And I thought, well, yeah, there was this boy called Anthony. That's it, he says. And I said, what do you mean romance? He said, where would the Titanic be? Without the romance, he said. <laughs> the romance was how we learned about all of the ship. We learned how to explore all of the, the ship, the Titanic, because of the romance. That's the thread that, that drew the story together. And he said, that's what you can do. So I thought, oh, my goodness me, I've got to write about romance now. I know, I'm not a novelist. I don't know how to write about romance. Anyway, it's in the book. It's, people do comment on it, so I must have done an okay job. Um, but yeah, that, that was my approach in the end. It was really, really basic, um, but it worked. And, you know, that, that, that for me is the only way to write a book. That, that, that's the way it works for me. So, you know, when it's memoirs and you, you, you try to pull your memories up, of course, the more you write, the more you remember. Mm -hmm. And then when you talk to people, then it sort of, you know, it, it builds. But yeah, just use the washing line approach. That's, that's, that's what I did. Well, that's really helpful because I think a lot of, a lot of people listening are creative people and writing writers and thinking about memoirs, thinking about telling their stories. How do you do that? And yeah, it's amazing how you're it kind of unlocks your brain too. Like once you kind of this story reminds you of this thing, this detail, and then you you know talk to someone. Oh, am I just imagining that, or did that really happen, or is this what someone told me? I don't remember. Um, I do love the the swimming story because I I think I learned the same way. Like the lady that would just throw me into the pool and said swim. I mean that's kind of how I learned. I mean there's no she didn't even get in the water with me. Um, it's basically like drown or swim. So you learn how to swim. Your will to live. Yeah, yeah it is. It's like desperation. It's total desperation. Exactly. Yeah. 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 My kids definitely didn't learn that way. They, they had better coaches, but um, yeah. So, so you're pulling all the the threads together. And I, I also like just the idea of the romance. And that's a great idea because I think if you don't have something like that, like a hook, it kind of can just become data or it can just be informational. And then it's just kind of this, this happened, this happened, this happened, but there's no sense of like theme or thread or connective tissue. I was actually talking to a friend who read this great, uh, biography memoir on a president and he said the the problem was it it just didn't have a thread it didn't have like a hook it just was kind of like this happened and this happened he got married da, da, da. And it was just really boring and then he read another one and he's like oh this was kind of the theme that they kind of worked with to kind of get after who the person was um and i think that's really smart um just to kind of work that in um but yeah so let's so you you you're working on getting all these stories you're talking to family you get a book coach. Um, now what I've heard you say is, you know, you, you've done some writing, but maybe in the work context, you were an occupational therapist sounds like working in hospitals. So probably not the most exciting, uh, memoirs, uh, probably not fiction in that world. Um, now when you actually went to like sit down and write the book, um, talk us through that kind of the, I got this big idea. I got these stories. Now I'm going to sit down and start putting these stories down. How, how, what was kind of the process for you to kind of put words actually on the page? Um, as I said, I, I didn't actually, when I was first writing down some of the, the, the stories I could recall from, you know, stories that mum and dad and family has mentioned over the years, um, I had no intention of writing a book. And, um, 
I didn't think, oh, yes, I've got enough information here so I can write a book. No, I just wanted to get the stories down. So I didn't have that pressure of thinking, oh, I have to write a book. Um, so literally all I did was, like I said, I, I, I sat at my laptop and I put outing to Manor Place swimming baths. That would be the, the title. So I knew what the content was when I was looking back on the, the pages. Um, and like I said, I would literally write down everything I could remember. Then afterwards, when I was going back in, and as I said, I had these all over the floor, and I was trying to pin the stories on the washing line, as it were, as I mentioned earlier, um, that's when I had to try and mesh the stories together. So that was the real writing piece, if you like, because when I was writing the stories down, that was more of a information gathering thing. Then I had to link one story with another, um, and I wanted also the other thing I had to do. I had to put more of the personality, the voice of of, of I guess my voice, the voice of the author, into the storyline. And um, in the end, my voice ended up being very matter of fact. Well, okay, this happened, but never mind. And um, and I talk about mum being very um, organised and very um, authoritarian, should we say. Mm. Um, it's like, oh, mum wants me to do this. Oh, well, you know, roll my eyes. I guess I'll have to do this. So I worked at um, threading the voice of, of my voice to, as a 10-year-old through the story as well. And the other thing I wanted, I didn't want it to be a story of a deprived child in inner London in the 60s, which it could have been. I wanted to, because I didn't feel that way, I wanted to be more of a humorous thing, um, light-hearted. There was very much an attitude, and I think it was left over from World War II. Okay, well, yeah, so, no, we're homeless. What are we going to do about this? Well, you know what? It could be worse. At least we're still together. That sort of <laughs> try to be optimistic, even if things are getting really desperate. Uh, and so whatever happened to us seemed it was, so even as a 10-year-old, when my mum was saying uh, she, maybe she was, I don't know, correcting me for something or other. And I'd think, all right, okay, never mind. Here we go again, sort of thing. And I think I picked that up from my family. And the other superb thing back back then when I had loads and loads of family members was if my mum and dad, my parents were upset with me about something, I can go talk to my cousins or my aunts or my uncles. They said, never mind, they said, that they'll get over it. Just, just, just ignore that. And so there was other supports which was great as well. But yeah, I think for me, the actual real writing piece, which is the um, the spirit of the book, the feeling of the book, was I wanted it to be humorous, sort of dry humor, but humorous. Um, and I wanted to say that matter of factness um, to come through of, oh, well, never mind, it could be worse sort of thing. So, um, and I, I was pleased that it did come through. Actually, I was really very, very happy mm -hmm. with that. And, uh, and it wasn't the way I started out to be, but, it was really, I guess I was tapping into who I was back then when I was, you know, in my 10, 11, 12, those sort of that age group, age range. So I, I was able to tap back into the voice. And then I realised, it was quite amusing really, I realised as I was writing the book and as it came through more and more and more, how much of my personality today is very similar to that. So it was interesting that I sort of understood myself better at the end of it, which surprised me, yeah. Yeah, that was actually my getting my next question is, you know, when you open up the the vault of stories and family and you know, what what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about your family? Would you, you know, 
sometimes it can be therapy. Sometimes it can be painful. Sometimes it can be somewhere in between. Um, what would you say that came out of it just from kind of doing this work? I mean, obviously it sounds like it's a lot of unexpected things. I didn't mean to write a book. I was just putting the stories down, but you know, there seemed like there was more here and things I wanted stories I wanted to tell, but yeah. Anything that kind of came out of that about you, your family, like what you realized about the whole situation? Um, I think one of the things that, I mean, there were many of them. Um, I think I've got a better understanding of people and their personalities and why they made certain decisions. And one of the the guiding things for mum was it was so important to her that we had a better life than she had had. Um, She grew up in a house with 12 other people, um, only one sink, which is cold water in the corner sort of thing. And she wanted us to have a real home and so on. So eventually that that was one of the reasons why we actually left Landlash Street and the family and so on. But other people were moving out as well. Um, But one of the things that there would always been a, a delicate subject within the family was my nan, uh, my my father's mother. Um, She um, married, um, had three children. Uh, Unfortunately, he, the person she married was um, a violent alcoholic. So when he was seven, he just disappeared. He didn't die for for another 30 odd years, but um, my father didn't know he was even alive. Um, But she had a very hard life. Um, She was literally pushing, physically pushing railway carriages at Waterloo. Excuse me. Um, and so when my, um, so my nan used to spend a fair bit of time down the pub and my dad always used to be very resentful of this, but then most parents in those days spent time down the pub because they had nothing else to go with and there was no other recreation. They had no social support. Um, if she didn't work, she didn't eat, the kids didn't eat. Um, and my aunt, my, sorry, my nan often used to have um, visitors come back to the house. And my dad, for a lot of years, was very, very upset over that. And I never spoke to him about it because he wasn't in that frame of mind. Um, but I began to understand that she was just a lonely lady who had three kids to bring up. She spent her day pushing railway carriages. Um, the only pleasure she got was having a few drinks down the pub. Um, now people don't even have that to face. So I understood more about her. At the time I thought she, because the, she was sort of a bit of the black sheep in my mum's view. But now I look back on it, I think she was just trying to survive. She had three kids and mm. find a husband out there somewhere and nobody helping her. She was by herself. Um, it was a tough, tough life. Mm. So I, I hadn't really thought about that, but I did learn that from just going through the stories afterwards that, yeah, she was really just trying to do her best. She had no education. She didn't even go to school. Mm-hmm. So um, no parents to help her. So it was very, very difficult. So mm-hmm. I understood that, which I hadn't yeah. understood before. Well, I think that's really great. I, I, I know that's, thanks for sharing that. Because I, I think, you know, all of our stories, we all have, all of our stories are imperfect. And, you know, we we see where we come from. We see, you know, why maybe grandma or grandpa were maybe angry or alcoholics or, you know, my great grandfather was a, you know, he, uh, 
you know, illegally made alcohol and sold it and was a bad dude and was mean to my grandfather. And, but you realize, cause his dad was mean to him and they didn't have much and they were struggling and they're stressed and they're, you know, so you, you realize like it gives you some context, you know, be a little more gracious to even our own families when we realize, yeah, they were going through a tough time and trying to just get by and, and uh, you know, w- what did we expect they were going to be doing, you know, be happy about it or, you know, um, so I think that's, that's really important about these stories and especially your story and, getting them down is just to give us all just kind of a context of, of who we are. Cause we are, you know, we're part of these families. We're, we're part of these stories in more ways than we, we even want to admit. Um, and we come from a place. Um, no, I love that. So, uh, so as you got the book, you got the coach, you got the stories, you're putting it down, you're putting it together. When was like the, the moment where you felt like, I really want to share this with other people. I want to publish it. I want to kind of get it out there. I mean, what, what was what was that that experience like? I mean, did you have any thoughts of like, how do I even, what do, I, do I go to a traditional publisher? Do I, what do I do? How do I get this out of here? Did you have anyone kind of helping you with that process? I did, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I reckon, because I, I wrote, I, I read about it on the internet, like what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also said, be realistic. If you don't know where to go next, maybe you need a lot of help with this. So that's the route I went, mm-hmm. actually. So I got a lot of help mm-hmm. from it. And then are you, um, like, did this, as you were doing I'm this. I'm so sorry about the cough. I'm calling yeah, No, you're okay. Uh, as you were writing it, I mean, was there a sense also of like, I want to do this again, or I have more stories to tell, or I enjoyed this, or I hated every second of it, or <laughs> where, uh, I mean, do you have more stories in there you want to get out there? I do, but I'm not quite sure where to go with it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm at this point now where I'm thinking about the next book. And I was so happy with what I did with the first book. I don't want the second one to be a letdown. Because you know, sometimes you do you go to a sequel and it's a disaster, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as good mm-hmm. as the first one. So, um, so I'm still thinking about it, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure right now. Sure. So, what? Um, this is always a question I like to ask when people write books, especially is is and maybe you haven't thought about it that deeply. Who knows? But um, you know, your first book. What were kind of your hopes? with the book. I mean, you've mentioned a few things, um, but you know, you've written it now it's out there. Um, yeah. What, what, what would you say, you know, when people read this book, what do, what do you hope they encounter? What do they get from it? What do they experience? What would kind of be your, your hopes for the reader? Um, I'm hoping that number one, they enjoy it. Um, I'm also hoping that they can relate to it. Um, yeah, I think those are the two things really. Um, because, yeah, and, I, and, and people seem to relate to me as a, a, a 10-year-old. <laughs> no, I'm sorry about this. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that's that's the thing that I, I hope the most, that they enjoy and that they can relate to it and they can um, – and a lot of people, actually, that in there of my age that are reading it start talking about their own stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other thing. I hope that they – see the value in writing about their own family history because this is you know this is my my this is my family but it's not overly remarkable um it's just everyday life and i hope people begin to understand that the everyday life in their families has a lot of value to it that hmm. um you know people read my book and say oh it's great i really enjoyed it and i can remember the days when i did this this and this and this happened to my family and it's like Yes. Yeah, so why don't you write about that? So hmm. if I can encourage other people to write about their family and their life, then um, it's all worthwhile, I think. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
No, I think you're onto something, Jill. I think that's why we write these stories. Cause I mean, it's why we read these stories. Like, you know, I, I didn't know you before this interview, but you know, I've re- read some of your book and, but you're, it's relatable because you go, Hey, my grandfather was in world war two. And I, I, your family's my family. I mean, in many ways, right. We all come from somewhere. We all have the same challenges and experiences and marriages and failed marriages and all, all the different, you know, kids and, you know, all those things, like that's a human experience. And I, and I think that's what, why we read and why we are fascinated by people's stories. Uh, they did this big study on fiction books and they realized like the top reasons people read fiction is if you mention, you know, working a job, that's very relatable. If you were, mention relationships, it's very relatable. I mean, cause you find yourself kind of in those stories, like even if it's about sci-fi or a mystery or a murder or whatever you may not relate to that but you you relate to like the everyday kind of what you're talking about just the everyday experiences because it's it's all of us we all have to do that right we all go to work and we all have families and and all that so well joe i'm so thankful that you uh had the courage to write your story and to put it all down and i hope it does exactly what you want it to do and just for people listening um kind of what's you mentioned next you're thinking about some other stories, but also like where can people find you, best place to find you and find the book? Okay, so I'm on Amazon. The book is on Amazon. Uh, it's called Lamna Street, L-A-M-L-A-S-H Street. If you just Google that, it comes up because it's a really unusual name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also, I have a, a Facebook page and a website. So my website is jmphillipsauthor.com. That's probably, and you see a lot of family photos on there as well. Perfect. Yes. Go put, uh, go check out uh, Jill's book. Um, I'll put it all in the show notes so you can find it really easily. Go check out her website, say hello on Facebook and uh, Jill, thanks for coming on the show. It's so great having you and uh, telling your story. I know you're going to inspire and encourage a lot of people. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, there you have it. My friends, Jill Phillips to go pick up her book, Lamb Lash Street. A portrait of 1960s post-war London through one family story. And you're going to love her story. And hopefully got a glimpse of that in our conversation. And I love her just openness about all of our families have problems. All of our families have broken parts. But, but the importance of telling our story and putting it down for our own families, our own legacy, but also to help others and to serve others. And I think that, again, that's why we, we read biographies, memoirs. It's why we tell stories to one another. And so maybe there's a story you have to tell. Maybe there's something in your family or something you've gone through that you want to put out in the world. And I think uh, Jill is a great inspiration for that. So thank you, Jill, for coming on the show. Check out all her information in the show notes. Uh, once again, Stitcher is going away. If you listen to this podcast on Stitcher, you've got to find another platform, but we're all over the place. So go find uh, Spotify or Apple or iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. You can even go on the Substack app, ryanjpelton.substack. Get the app. You can listen to the show through that. It's a great app. Um, also, you can support the show through the Substack and all the writings, uh, all the podcasts, all the stuff is there. That'll all be in the show notes. You can join up for my newsletter also that I put out weekly, things I'm paying attention to. Hopefully that'll encourage you and serve you well. Well, my friends, it has been so good to be with you. Hopefully this conversation will encourage you to make, to do, to be, to walk as we should, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And so uh, before we go, I do have one important thing to say is go make some great art with your life. And I'll talk to you later.